was reading the lessons this week and I thought um, normally the epistle and the gospel don't thematically relate to one another. But today from Colossians, we have Paul speaking about some things that the Colossian congregation seems to embody or work towards, and that is living into the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. And perhaps faith, hope, and love have something to do with the divine compassion, which is what the story in Luke's gospel is about uh, of the Good Samaritan. This story in Luke's gospel is, like the prodigal son, unique to Luke's gospel. It appears nowhere else in the New Testament. So I thought I'd say some things to you about the virtues generally. This is the teaching season of the church year, the Green Sundays. And uh, I think, uh, fortunately, there's a movement in some circles to revive speaking about the cardinal virtues, the theological virtues, and their utility in uh, how people learn to make moral and ethical decisions about their lives. So we may some say something about that and then speak about how faith, hope, and love work uh, in our lives. During the time of the writing of Colossians, Paul certainly, and all the people who lived in the Hellenistic world, knew about the, the virtues, how to make decisions uh, and how to pursue the good. And the four cardinal virtues are prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. And they're called the cardinal virtues because it's a Latin word, cardo, which means hinge. All moral choices hinge on these four virtues of justice, prudence, temperance, <coughs> and fortitude. Now, Christian people, uh, after the, they began to think about things like this, believed that at our baptism, we receive three other virtues that are infused sacramentally at our baptism. Faith, hope, and love. The other virtues are naturally obtainable. They occur within nature, and you and I can do them. But we believe that the theological virtues are given to us by God, and that we can, in fact, reflect back to the world those values. But we, we do that with God's help and not merely uh, as the result of human effort. So this is an important uh, reading if we're going to talk about the Good Samaritan because it may have something to do about understanding, responding to people not out of need, but out of compassion. And there's a difference. Let me give you some background to the gospel and uh, why this is important and why my teacher O.C. Edwards was right. It's not important what the Bible says, it's important what the Bible means. And you need to become a student of the Bible. The idea that a Samaritan would help a Jew on the road injured was an absolutely unthinkable idea in the age in which this parable this story is And in fact, we have two individuals, faithful, pious Jews, who walked on the other side of the road, and everybody would have said that's exactly the thing they should do. Why? Because they would become unclean. They would be associating with somebody who 
uh, they believed was absolutely anathema to their religious, social, and political outlook. The Samaritans were the people who were left behind during the Babylonian captivity and exile. And so they developed their own religious practices. They had their own sacred site. It was not Jerusalem. It was Mount Gerizim. They had differences with the Jews regarding the sacred scriptures that they believed were important. And so they didn't really have much to do with one another. And here's a man who takes compassion, a Samaritan, who takes compassion on somebody who has been attacked and injured on the road. They must have been just absolutely, uh, it must have been unbelievable to them. They couldn't understand how that might have happened. The thing about biblical scholarship is that people begin to think about how do we respond to this kind of thing? Is it, is it our job to uh, respond to, to neediness? And that's how we understand what uh, being a faithful Christian person is in terms of doing good works. Faith, hope, and love are the sacramental energy that give us the ability to respond. When I was in Sausalito, I married a guy, I'm married already, but I married this guy and his wife. Uh, he was um, a software developer and he developed that piece of software, you know, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Did you ever <laughs> see that on the TV or in the kids show? His father is a Presbyterian minister and he teaches at one of the very well-known Protestant seminaries in the East, Andover Newton. And he wrote a commentary on Luke's gospel. He helped me do the wedding, and I, I never forgot it. He talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> Too often, we let need motivate us as Christians. We see people in need, be it physical or spiritual, and so we respond. The problem with need is the motivation for our Christian practice is that the world will always produce more need than we can satisfy. When need becomes our fundamental motivation for practice, ultimately we will end up feeling guilt-ridden, hopeless, bitter, or burned out because we as individuals and as the church can never meet nor solve all the needs of this world. Likewise, when need motivates us, we are treating others as objects rather than neighbors. Note how well the text, the story of the Good Samaritan, shifts the focus away from need and away from neighbor as an object. Instead, the reading holds up compassion as that which motivates practice so that neighbor is defined as the one who enacts compassion and compassionate practice instead of the one who is in need. Thus, the motivation for our practice is grounded in the divine compassion poured out to us in Jesus. This is an unending storehouse of compassion that allows guilt-free, extravagant, selfless action for others. Neighbor is no longer that person out there who is in need. Now, neighbor is I who have received God's compassion in Jesus Christ and who enacts compassionate practice for others. 
In other words, this is a parable about having mercy on people because God had mercy on us. And that we do things like this because we love God. And it is the automatic response that is perhaps the result of the infused virtues of faith, hope, and love. And maybe that should be the starting point. You've heard me grind an axe, which I'm not going to do too much in this sermon. But I have a lot of trouble with the word empathy. It's a 19th century word. And it had to do in Germany with art criticism. It didn't have to do with what most people think it has to do with. And there are two perfectly good words in the English vocabulary that are better than empathy. And that is sympathy and compassion. And today's gospel is about how to show compassion and to respond compassionately because we are all made in God's image. I heard a speech many years ago by Archbishop Desmond Tutu who said that if we in our own religious tradition bow or genuflect before the Blessed Sacrament at the Eucharist, we all ought to bow or genuflect before one another as being made in God's image and reflecting to the world the presence of God. So whenever I read the story of the Good Samaritan, I think about somebody who showed compassion in the right way. This week, think about faith, hope, and love. Think about the opportunities uh, to show compassion to other people. Um, and I think sometimes that means just taking other people seriously. You know, we get so busy and we get so distracted that we forget to take each other seriously as made in God's image. And this gospel today focuses on that necessity. Amen.